Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 9. This is our second sermon in John 9, our our third sermon in this uh, series on each one, reach one, or four, if you will also add Nathan's sermon last week. But we're going to return here to 9, chapter 9 here, and look at the story of the man born blind. I'll be picking up in verse 18 and reading to verse 41. So I invite you to follow in your Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, so the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Father, we ask now as we uh, consider this passage, particularly the application of it, that you would open up our eyes to see uh, the beauty of the Scripture and apply it to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, or two weeks ago, that is, we took a look at this story, and we talked about the man born blind and how Jesus gave him his sight. And we noticed during that the response of the people. There were several different responses. The people doubt him. His parents abandon him. And the Pharisees revile him. They insult him. And ultimately, they excommunicate him. They cast him out. That was the very fruit of his receiving of his sight. 
And so we ask the question then, was it worth it? Was it worth associating with Jesus and receiving his sight given the outcome? Now he has his sight, but now he's a greater outcast than he was even before. I, I mentioned how the, important, the importance of being part of the synagogue, and now he's been cast out. At least beforehand, he would have got some sympathy, but now no one would want to see him or talk to him. He was excommunicated. In the eyes of the Jews, that simply meant that he was separated from God himself. And so he would have been rejected by all. And so was it worth it listening to Jesus? And we know the answer. And we talked about that answer. We entitled, it was under the outline of the radical result. No sooner was this man cast out of the synagogue that Jesus comes to find him, verse 35, and he offers him something greater than sight. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Jesus would have understood how heavy of a burden this was uh, for this man to carry. And so what he does is Jesus seeks the man out and cheers him with words of comfort. And so we learned there, one of the lessons we learned at that time was that if our Christian witness separates us from others, which it will inevitably do, it, it brings us closer, it brings us nearer to Jesus Christ himself. That was the main lesson when we're being mistreated for our faith, when we're being insulted for our relationship to Jesus, when society itself casts us out for following Christ, even if our family rejects us for our, our faith in him because we bear his name, what we learn is that Christ is always there. He is always with us. Jesus is always true of those, for those and to those who are true to him. And so because of this, because Christ is with us, we can and we will, on some level, desire to tell others of this glorious message. You see, because Jesus is faithful to us, we can faithfully bear witness for him. Now, Paul, the apostle, summarizes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning, Paul says. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is reviled or uh, is veiled, that is, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We ourselves are his servants for Jesus' sake. For God who so let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's our gospel. We, we proclaim it, and people may be blind to it. And then Paul goes on to say, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted but not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, Paul says, so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and bring us to be with him into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's the focus. There's a lot of words there, but that's the focus this morning. The extending of grace to more and more people. Paul says, we believe, therefore we must speak. That's the focus. We believe this gospel, this good news. Therefore, we must speak. And so I want to return now to the passage in John 9, and I want to focus this week on the application. You could basically say that this, in the last sermon we preached on John 9, or one sermon, I split it up so we wouldn't be here an hour and a half, and I I did it. And now we're going to focus on the application portion um, about being a witness to Christ. Some of the things we learn from this passage, we're going to simply just walk through them, and throughout it we have some different stories and examples that I want to share. Here's the first one. It's important that we realize that God wants to use us, that God wants to use all of us. Evangelism is for everyone. It's not just for the Billy Grahams. Now, I say that name because I want to tell you a story. Uh, Billy Graham was going to Nova Scotia uh, to preach the gospel, as he did with all his you know, different places. He would preach at his crusades. But the night before, there was another pastor preaching. His name was Leeton Ford. And Billy Graham was to speak the next night, but he showed up early, so he went incognito to the service. And he sat there in the grass with the crowd, and he was wearing a hat and glasses. Nobody really recognized him. Um, And directly in front of Billy Graham was this elderly gentleman who seemed to be listening intently to the presentation of the gospel. And and when uh, the the speaker invited people to come forward as a sign of commitment, which you know, if you're familiar at all with the Billy Graham Crusades, they'd have people come forward. uh, Dr. Graham decided he was sitting near this person to go up to the person and do a little personal evangelism. He tapped the man on the shoulder and said, would you like to accept Christ? I'll be glad to walk down with you if you want to. And the old man looked up, looked him up and down, thought it over for a moment, and then said, nah, I think I'll just wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. See, in the minds of many, evangelism is to be done by the big guns. He, he, he was sitting there listening intently to the gospel, but it wasn't coming from Billy Graham. And he said, no, nah, I think I'll wait for him tomorrow night. But see, that's not the case. One person said, it's not just the big guns, it's the little shots. Uh, God wants us all to be involved in the task of evangelism. Uh, even religious leaders can kind of have this attitude and they take it a step further, though. Um, these are the real spiritual ones. They say, God doesn't need you or anybody, much less a Billy Graham. If he wants to save somebody, he'll do it himself. That's what we call um, hyper-Calvinist. 
um, that they believe, as we do, in election, that God's the only one that can save. And so why even bother? If he wants to save them, he could do it himself. Um, but we're to preach the gospel. And we don't have to be great theologians to preach the gospel. We don't have to be called evangelists to preach the gospel. We don't have to be scholars to be effective at witnessing to Jesus Christ. Notice that this man that was born blind, it was while he was growing in knowledge that he was active in his witnessing. He wasn't waiting until he had all the answers to begin being a witness. He just shared what he knew. This man just spoke what he, what he knew to be true. What did the Pharisees say to him? He answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. They called him a sinner, and he said, I don't know. This is what I know. I once was blind, now I see. You may be asked a question while you're doing your witnessing. Well, you know, how could Jesus become man, or how could God and, uh, be a trinity? All these things. You may be asked these questions, not usually from an unbeliever. I'm sure the doctrine of the trinity is not on their mind. But, but you're going to be asked questions about the gospel, and you may not have the answers, but you can be like this man. I'm not sure about this, but what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Uh, what are some of the things we know? We Do you not know that in him we believe we're saved? We know that our Redeemer lives. That's what Job says. We know that to be true. We know that we have passed from death to life. That's a fact. 1 John 3, we know that all things work together for our salvation. We know that. Romans 8 tells us that. We know that when the Lord Jesus returns, we shall be like him. 1 John 3. The unbeliever may not be impressed with our knowledge, we know these things, but, but they cannot deny how it changed our life. And, and, and that leads to the next lesson. Part of our witness and part of the thing we learn here is the sharing of our personal testimony. See, people will disagree with the gospel we preach. Otherwise, they would have already believed it. They will disagree with the gospel or they may deny the Bible or probably just have never read the Bible or care, but they have no answer for our changed life. How did your life change? And here's another story. Maybe you've heard of Harry Ironside. He was a great preacher, um, evangelist too. He was challenged to a debate. Um, one Sunday afternoon, he was walking down Market Street and noticed a sizable crowd, we're told. Um, they gathered at the corner of Grant Avenue. I don't know where this is. I'm assuming England. He realized by the sound of the band and the singing that it was the Salvation Army was playing. And so the Salvation Army is playing, and, and people are coming forward and sharing their testimonies. Well, the leader of the Salvation Army saw him and asked if he would come give his testimony, and he was given his testimony. While he was given his testimony, he noticed a man that was kind of looked dignified and uh, set apart, and he wasn't sitting with everybody, and the man took a note, wrote something down. He's sharing his testimony. He notices this. The guy walks up and places a note on his uh, podium or hands it to him. 
And Harry, Dr. Ironside, is still speaking, and he puts down and looks at the card, and he recognizes the man came forward who it was. It was, it was a man who was an agnostic, did not believe the gospel. He, he promoted class hatred. He was pretty popular against capitalistic system. And so Dr. Ironside, while he was still speaking, kind of looked at the card, and it said, Sir... I challenge you to debate with me the question of agnosticism versus Christianity. In the Academy of Science Hall, next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I will pay for the expenses. And so the challenge is set. He reads the card, and then he reads it out loud to the crowd. And he says, this man has asked me uh, for this challenge. I've been asked to speak somewhere else, but I'm sure I can make arrangements, and I'd be willing to do so, but I have a few conditions Dr. Ironside says. He says, I'll be glad to agree to this debate on the following conditions, namely that in order to prove that this gentleman that wants to debate me has something worth debating about, he will promise to bring with him to the hall next Sunday two people whose qualifications I shall give in a moment as proof that agnosticism is of real value in changing human lives and building true character. First, he must promise to bring with him one man who was for, four, for, for years what we commonly call down and outer, a man for years under the power of some evil habits, uh, somebody, and he couldn't deliver himself. He was trapped. Uh, on some occasion, though, he attended this gentleman's meeting talking about agnosticism, heard him sharing about his hatred for capitalism and whatever else he taught, and denouncing Christianity as silly, and this person's heart was just changed, and he came forward and his life was turned around. That's who you have to bring. Uh, he, henceforth, I too am an agnostic. And my life has been changed. And the sins he once loved, he now hates. And, and the righteous and goodness are henceforth the ideals of his life, uh, Dr. Ironside said. Secondly, Ironside went on to say, I would like this gentleman who has challenged me to debate to bring with him to the hall next Sunday one woman who was once a poor, wretched, characterless outcast, the slave of degrading passions and the victim of man's corrupt living. Perhaps, and then he points down the road um, to, it was kind of a stone's throw away, they say that some notorious street called Pacific Street, where this woman may have lived, she's in utter ruin, she's lost, she's wretched, but somehow she heard you speak, and her life was turned around as, as you mock the Holy Scripture. She said, yes, I listened to him, and hope was born in my heart as he talked about how wrong Christianity was. Uh, her whole life turned upside down. And then he continued, if you will promise to just bring those two people as an example of how powerful agnosticism is and denying the Scripture and the Bible is, I promise to meet you at the hall tomorrow at the hour appointed with a 100 people. And men and women who for years lived in such a sinful degradation, and as I've tried to depict, but who have been gloriously saved through believing the message. I will have these men and women up here on the platform with me as a witness, as you'll have your two people with you as a witness. And then he turned to the Salvation Army, and he said, can you give me anybody? And they said, we could probably give you about 40 people by tomorrow. And he goes, good, I can come up with the other 60. I'm up for the debate. How about you? And 
now for, he said, now, sir, facing his challenge, I shall have no difficulty picking up these people. And his opponent, who had at least some sense of humor, smiled rather sarcastically and with a wave of the hand said, nothing doing. And he walked away. Now, why do I tell that story? If those two got into a debate, which is necessary, it should happen, there's nothing wrong with debating, got into a debate, the person could debate his ideas back and forth. What Dr. Ironside was pointing out is that any other philosophy, particularly atheism, is not going to see change in people's life. He says they recognized immediately that no philosophy philosophy of negation could ever make bad men and women good. But the gospel can. And that's the testimony of the gospel in your life. These people stand there saying, you may or may not believe it, but look at my life and look how it changed me. And so your testimony is a, is a powerful tool in telling people about the saving power of Jesus. Now, let me be clear. Sharing your testimony is not the gospel. And it's not evangelism. It's what we may call pre-evangelism, if you want to talk about that. It may gain you a hearing. When I got saved, people recognized the difference. Once I told them, they weren't too excited, but they, but they recognized the difference. It gave me an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, but you need to share the gospel. That's what evangelism is, the work of the cross. And so that's one of the main lessons. Your testimony can be a tool when you're, when you're talking to these three acquaintances or people on your prayer challenge card, sharing with them what God has done. Here's another lesson. What we call felt needs, and I know we put those down a lot in, in the um, church we don't want to cater to people's felt needs. I, in fact, I talked about this not long ago, that them coming up with ideas for church, their felt needs. But talking to people about their felt needs can open the door to evangelism. How do I know this? Well, look at the scripture. This man had a need. He was blind. Jesus met that need, which opened the door for him in order to talk about his spiritual sight. And, and see, beloved, this may be a great way to get into a conversation with someone. Again, it's not the gospel, but it's a great way to get into a conversation. Did you know, I'm going to share in a second, the four felt needs that people in the world, not the church, shared as the most important things. Here they are. The need to believe life is meaningful and has a purpose. Agnosticism is not going to answer that question for you. Uh, the need for a sense of community and deeper relationships. Now, the agno- you know, a bunch of agnostics can get together and have fellowship. That's true. Uh, the need to be appreciated and respected. All right. The need to be listened to and to be heard. That was their four greatest felt needs. Uh, when it comes down to it, this is what people said were most important. And so we need to be sensitive to the felt needs of people in order to maximize the opportunity and effectiveness in sharing the gospel. And to do this, we must get to know them, by the way. You have to know someone, and you have to build a relationship with them, and we need to appreciate them, and we need to respect them, even though they may deny the gospel, if they're willing to sit down with you and talk to you. We need to listen to them. We need to let them speak. Let them air their concerns or their questions. And having done all this, we need to let them know that true meaning and purpose in life only comes by turning to Christ for salvation. It's the only way. Let me be clear again. 
We're not to be given the answer. To, I mean, the Bible is not the answer to everyone's felt needs. I may feel the need to be rich. <laughs> I may feel the need to be completely healed of any disease. God doesn't promise those things. But the more fundamental needs of life, the, the meaning, purpose, relationships, the need for love, Christ meets every one of those needs. And he meets them perfectly. We experience love in the world, but it always, always comes with complications. There's always a rift, maybe, but not with Christ. He loves us perfectly. And if we spend time with people, they will inevitably come to recognize that these are their needs. If you talk to them. Why? Because God has made it, put it in us to be relational people, to have, have the need to be cared for and loved and so on and so forth. And it opens up the door for you to share about Jesus. So that's another lesson. You can take advantage of that. It's not the gospel. It's not evangelism. It's an opportunity to meet on, at the level of a person. Second, I mean, or third here, truly evangelized, we must invite people to Christ. They must invite them to follow Christ. Uh, the blind man said, and now he did say this sarcastically, but he did say, do you want to be his disciple also? Uh, the point still stands. See, evangelism demands a response from the hearer. It demands that they take a step in one direction or the other. There's no middle ground. Either they're blind or they see. Either they're lost or they're saved. Either they're condemned or they're forgiven. And see, we need to invite them to receive their sight. We need to invite them to, to, to become a disciple, to follow Jesus. We need to invite them to believe the gospel. They need to make a decision. We need to call them, verse 35, to believe in the Son of Man. And, and so... We, we need to understand that the gospel has to be shared in evangelism. I think that's obvious, but that's what we find here. we got to call them to make a response. See, that's the one thing about Christianity. It, there's just no middle ground. You, you must make a decision. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision, let me help you. You have made a decision. You have chose not to turn to Christ. And so you need to turn to Christ. You need to follow Christ. You need to believe that he died and rose again, that you can be forgiven, that you can be saved. A decision is called for. That's what we need to do. That's what we see here in our passage. Next, we learn that not everyone will respond to our attempts to lead them to the light. Some will be unsure. Remember, that's what the people said. I don't know if he was born blind. They were unsure. Some will fear man. That's what his parents did. And some others will insult us. That's what the Pharisees did. And none of this is surprising. Jesus said in John 3, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. You tell someone they're a sinner, they're going to be upset maybe, unless the Holy Spirit's working in their heart. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. See, Christ brings division. 
Whenever someone is confronted with Jesus, if they see nothing to desire and admire, they bring judgment upon themselves. And if they see in Jesus something to wonder at, something to respond to, they are on their way to receiving their sight. In either case, it's our job to present the truth and let the chips fall where they may. We, we, we must be willing to assume the risk of evangelizing, be it rejection or persecution. And remember, we cannot convert anyone. We just proclaim the gospel and let God do his work. Paul said it this way, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, it's a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. For some, it's life to life. Others, death, the same message brings about both. And so our proclamation may bring life, it may bring death, it may bring sight, it may bring greater blindness. In either case, we must proclaim it, and we need to proclaim it with boldness. And that leads to another lesson. We need to be bold. This blind beggar was bold even when confronting the most learned men in his culture. You have to understand, these were the most important people in that culture. They were revered. They were considered the most religious. They were considered the closest to God. And yet he knew what Christ did for him, and he was not ashamed, and so he boldly proclaimed it. And so this man, with his very limited knowledge of Christ, he just met him he didn't even know if he was a sinner or not. If he was willing to proclaim with such boldness, how much more should we? Now that we have the full revelation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. John Calvin said, if he, speaking of the blind man, who did not yet know that Christ was the Son of God, courageously and freely confessed he was a prophet, how shameful is the treachery of those who out of fear either deny him or are silent though they know that he sits at the right hand of the Father and from hence will come to be the judge of the whole earth. And so we need to be bold. We need to be willing. Finally, we learn that now is the time to do it. Now is the time. Jesus said in verse 4, For we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, in this context, Jesus is speaking of the time prior to his death and resurrection, but it's just as true today. Paul said, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, when now, while there's still the light of day, we must share the gospel. Night is coming. Night is coming when Christ will return and bring his judgment. Then it'll be too late. The opportunity will be no more. There's only one time, and it is now. And so we need to redeem the time. When do the lost need to hear the gospel? Today. Today. When you have opportunity. When the door opens to you. 
Maybe it's at our luncheon, speaking to somebody you run into at Yoder's. Maybe it's somebody in your family. The opportunity is now. We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord to open up doors. They may hate us. They may persecute us. But see, we actually know their needs better than they do. We know they need to be forgiven, their greatest need. We know they need to be loved perfectly. We know that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are not aware of it yet. But we need to proclaim it. And so we boldly proclaim Christ crucified. Paul says, stumbling block to the Jews, a, a folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so they're just some of the lessons from John 9. Um, God wants to use us to be a witness, to be the light of Christ to a lost world. He wants to use you. Understand that, that we do not have to be great theologians or scholars or Billy Graham to be an effective witness, that part of our witness is sharing our personal testimony, and that, that can come in handy, uh, that, that a person's felt needs may be an opportunity to open up the door if we target the right felt needs. Uh, on this one, I want to remind you, it's not everything they feel that they need is what the gospel answers. Um, Somebody had a bumper sticker on their car that said, Jesus is the answer. Someone else said, what's the question? So we hear just, Jesus is the answer to everything. It's to the, to the needs, the true needs, especially the need to be forgiven. We understand that truly to evangelize, we must proclaim the gospel and invite people to follow Christ. That not everyone will respond to our attempts to lead them to the light. We must be bold. And that now, now is the time for salvation. And so, let me close. You know, we wrestle with this evangelism. Um, we, if, if you just think in your own, no raising hands, no calling people out, um, just last time you actually shared the gospel once or twice with somebody. I mean, it just doesn't happen all the time. Some of you may have the gift of evangelism, you are doing it all the time, and you're an example to us all. But for most of us, we just haven't done it. And, and, and we may have fear of doing it. Uh, Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, calls it evangelophobia and the fear of evangelism. And often it's because we have fear of man. We, we're afraid of what people will think of us. We're, we're scared that they will, you know, make fun of us. I'll lose this friendship. I'll lose my place in the company, so on and so forth. We have a fear of man. And, you know, I shared... Um, that, that's one of the issues. I shared how, that we're afraid we may fail at it. I shared about Becca a couple weeks ago. Remember, she tried to share the gospel when she was five, and the person asked her one question, she said, oh, forget about it. Right? She, she was afraid of failing. She didn't have an answer. She didn't know. We can have fear of failing. It's an important thing. We're sharing the gospel with people. And so you may say to yourself, I just don't know enough to debate. And my response is, yes, you do. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again for your justification. You know that you once were lost, but now you see. And you've been found. And you once were blind, but now you see. You once were lost, but now you've been found. You, you understand that your sins are forgiven because of Christ. But here's the good news in the light of all that. God uses us 
but he doesn't need us. Now, I started with this saying, some people say God doesn't need us at all and doesn't use us at all. But it is true he doesn't need us. God could save whoever he wants. Apostle Paul put it this way in John chapter 10, though. Um, when it comes to your witnessing, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have also never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I mean, that's scary. If someone doesn't preach, how are they going to hear? You better get it right. But earlier in Romans 9, Paul said, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so it is true that God wants to use you, and it's important that you know the gospel, that you're able to defend the truth. But ultimately, ultimately, God has the final say in someone's salvation. Not you, nor the individual. It's the sovereign God who desires that none of his elect will perish. And so our role is secondary. We are his mouthpiece. He does the saving, I present the truth. The more truth I know, the more understanding I have, maybe I'll be, quote, better at it. But all you need to know is once I was blind, but now I see because of Jesus Christ. Or as Paul put it this way, I believe and therefore I speak. That's the calling. You have an opportunity to be the part of the greatest miracle that ever existed and ever will exist, the saving of someone's soul from death to life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that once we were blind, but now we see. And I pray, Lord, you enable us to share this glorious message with all, we come in con- with all whom we come in contact with for your glory and the building of your church and the extending of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.